step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to DST Radio, where we feature best-in-class insight and opinion from thought leaders and practitioners in the healthcare industry to help you stay informed to make the best decisions. And with me right now is Amy Sauls, who is Director of Population Health Strategy for DST Health Solutions. Amy has more than 20 years experience in data analysis and healthcare informatics, and right now she's got the responsibility for DST Health Solutions predictive modeling, analytics, and decision support projects. And I'm glad you're here with me, Amy, so you can explain to me what I just said. <laughs> what we're trying to model with the risk adjustment is what the plan will have to pay. And if you as a consumer are choosing a lower metal level, metal levels describe the benefits in um, the marketplace, then you're paying more out of pocket and the health plan is paying less. So the risk scores do vary by metal level and there are also variations for adult children and infants. Ultimately, the way the risk score is going to be applied is not on an individual by individual premium adjustment, but at a group aggregate plan risk score, transferring funds between states in the market. That's a long answer. <laughs> it, it, it sure is. <laughs> but I'll and bet there's more. <laughs> there always is. I'm not done yet. So um, for each of the metal level, um, for each of the metal levels, there are differences in the individuals because of the different plan paid amounts. The adults, uh, children and infants, they, they express themselves in terms of different conditions. Um, and in particular, you know, certain populations, infants in particular, they are, they're medically needy. That doesn't mean they're sick. It just means that we anticipate spending for immunizations, for preventive care visits. Sometimes there's developmental delays and other things that are more resource intensive for them. And so we do, um, the risk scores do identify these populations differently. Um, I mentioned earlier that the HCCs just consider about 3,500 diagnoses, and these are not exhaustive. So typically not everyone is assigned an HCC. Um, from the final rule, HHS reported that uh, they anticipated 19% of adults would have one of these conditions, 9% of children, and 45% of infants. That means that for the majority of people, everyone outside of that percentage, their risk score is only the, based on their demographic information. So when uh, HHS was determining what HCCs they want, wanted to consider, uh, they had specific criteria. They wanted the HCCs to represent clinically significant conditions that are associated with significant costs. They needed to make sure they were not so rare or grouped in a way uh, to uh, not allow for sufficient sample size. They want these HCCs to be stable. Um, they didn't want them to be subject to discretionary coding, what that means is sometimes uh, certain codes are uh, descriptive 
and providers use them, but they're not un describing an underlying condition or treatment. So, for example, uh, status codes like, and uh, there's a, a code, a diagnosis code for general medical exam, for example. So that's sometimes that's added, sometimes that's not. Um, whether the HCC represents um, chronic or systematic conditions. Um, uh, that are inherent in, in risk segmentation as opposed to uh, random acute events. So the fact that someone um, experiences a, uh, a significant condition that leads them to the hospital doesn't necessarily make it a great candidate for an HCC because it's not predictable. Um, uh, they exclude HCCs that represent poor quality of care, so complications of treatment are kind of the risk borne by the health plan. And then uh, a subset may apply to certain age groups and not to others. So I just stated that more in the affirmative of how they're selecting these HCCs. So implicit in that, there are some exclusions. They are excluding rare conditions because they don't have enough sample size for stable populations. Uh, so you'll, every once in a while, you hear a, a documentary about a, a child with a very rare condition, only a couple hundred children have it. Those will not be part of this. Uh, conditions subject to discretionary coding, so those kind of status codes. Um, you'll see uh, things related to random acute events, so you know gunshot wounds are not part of the risk model, and things that represent poor quality of care, those complications of treatment. Very extensive. Now, based on all of that, how are plans reimbursed? So once every individual has a risk score assigned to them, uh, they will be aggregated to a plan level risk score and then a comparison of each plan's risk score relative to their market. So this is not something you can determine based on one plan alone. It, you have to know how every participant in the marketplace is performing. And then uh, payments will be transferred. The payment transfer formula um, explains the differences in the relative costs of your plan that are associated with illness burden. Um, which is, represents the health services needs of that population compared to the market average and the relative costs of your plan associated with those things that you could actually account for in the premium rate setting like age and gender. So what it's doing is it's accounting for the differences in health services demand and the portion that you can actually account for already. There's some unrateable risk that you're bearing and that's the portion that will be transferred. Um, since um, the rate setting for 2014 is already complete because people are, have already purchased their insurance for the shared open enrollment is closed. Um, accurately capturing illness burden is, is part of it, um, but they also have to manage the direct medical expenses to be able to balance that profit and loss. And predictive modeling um, can help balance that by understanding the costs as well. We've talked about reinsurance, risk corridors, risk adjustment. Now I'm going to ask you to give some free advice for the health plans uh, as far as some specific recommendations. Sure. So one thing we know is that providers are not the best sources of diagnostic coding information. When you are in their office and they are documenting your record, not all of that information gets transferred to the bill you actually submit to the insurance company. So uh, physicians as the source of this coding information leads to some coding deficiencies. Uh, ultimately, they may have put something in the chart that doesn't translate into the bill because historically, when we pay for services, we're paying for procedures, not for diagnoses. So we really need plans to be aware of their potential coding deficiencies and to identify and correct for them. 
we know that uh, this is going to be allowable, that supplemental sources of information beyond just encounters and claims can contribute to codes, and that the medical record will be seen as the gold standard. So when we can infer a coding deficiency, the plans should be uh, pursuing that for correction. Inherent in that, there are some audit risks in doing that. So you need to make sure that you are assuring that there are appropriate um, chart documentation in, in place and to have those available for uh, the risk adjustment data validation audit. We know that uh, while in this year, um, there are very generous um, uh, accounting of high cost claimants in terms of the reinsurance program, that is going to dwindle over time. So you really need to be able to rapidly identify members who have high medical needs and to mitigate some of those risks from a clinical perspective doing care coordination um, activities. And you need to be aware of where there may be some beneficial selection, certain patient types for which the risk adjustment actually works very well and uh, by encouraging enrollment of those kinds of populations, um, you may see some, some benefit of the risk adjustment program specifically. For each of those, we, again, would use predictive modeling to play a part. It's an important management tool for overall financial performance. Information that every health plan really should have in order to be successful in the, the marketplaces right now. Amy, thank you so much for, for sharing all this with us. Amy Sauls is the Director of Population Health Strategy for DST Health Solutions. Thank you for listening to DST Radio. For more information or questions, contact DST Health Solutions at 800-272-4799 or email us at marketing at dsthealthsolutions.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.